This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Andy Hamicky talks about Eucharistic Adoration. What is Eucharistic Adoration? Why do Catholics have adoration? How can we pray during adoration? Well, let's find out. Father Andy is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Cody Marincer. We have Father Andy Hamicky in with us this morning. Father Andy was ordained a priest in June, on June 2nd, 2018. He served at St. Mary's Queen of the Universe and St. Patrick Parish in Gibson before, becoming, before coming home to Hayes in 2021. Father Andy serves as chaplain at the Como Catholic Campus Center, as well as chaplain of Thomas Moore Prep Marion Junior Senior High School here in Hayes. He's also the co-vocations director of the Diocese of Salina and spiritual director of Divine Mercy Radio. Father Andy wears a lot of hats, friend of mine. Um, this is awesome to have you in here. This is great to have you. So let's welcome on Father Andy. And it looks like you're going to be talking about uh, Eucharistic adoration. So this is fantastic. So, uh, you know, first off, we've got some Catholic listeners. We've got some non-Catholic listeners. Um, so as, as I welcome you on, um, maybe can, can we, do you want to start there or do you want to start somewhere else? I'm going to let you kind of go where okay. you want to go sure. with it. What do you want to say? I kind of threw you a curveball, man. I threw you a... Uh, yeah. Some yeah. So Father Andy comes in and like starts throwing papers at me. I'm like, wait a minute, you're gonna throw me a curveball? I'm gonna throw you a curveball. Right, By the way, he used to he used to um, play baseball even at the collegiate level. So there may be um, baseball type themes thrown around here. Huh? Well, thanks. So so yeah, we want to start with uh, um, just adoration in general, kind of what it is, like the basics, and then kind of go from there. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, especially for even a lot of Catholics, you know, it, it's it's certainly possible to grow up without ever being exposed to what adoration is. You can go to Mass your whole life, and, and then uh, maybe sometime in your life, all of a sudden, you see this funny-looking deal up on the altar, and, and there's a, a Eucharistic host on it, and like, what's this about? And in the end, that's quite simply what adoration is, is, is an opportunity to adore Christ, um, in particular, not, not just in, in the tabernacle, uh, and we'll get into kind of the distinctions there, but, but in particular to be able to look at him physically um, in this thing we call a monstrance and, and, and adore him. So monstrance, uh, I think, comes from the Latin monstrare, which means to show. So we're going to take Jesus, who, who's with us always physically in his, in his Eucharistic presence, in every Catholic church in the world, you'll, you'll see him uh, reserved in the tabernacle. Um, and, and adoration is, is to take him out and show him, to take him from the tabernacle, put him into this thing we call a monstrance, which means to show, and, uh, and then adore him and spend time with him. And, and so that's kind of basically what it is. It, it's, it's an opportunity to look right at Christ. And, and, um, and it's kind of cool because, you know, with adoration, recently, within recent years, I think the Holy Spirit's been moving the church um, and moving people's hearts to, to, to fall in deeper, deeper devotion to it. You've been able to go to NCYC uh, yeah. multiple times, and, and um, you see it with the youth, you see it with people of all ages, but it's kind of amazing. NCYC, you know, is this national uh, Catholic youth conference in, in Indianapolis every year. Some of the best Catholic speakers in the world are at this thing, um, all kinds of, you know, beautiful mass, all, all kinds of activities and things to do. When you ask kids when they leave there, like what was their favorite part of the entire trip to Indianapolis, the entire thing? Um, 
about 99 percent of them say adoration you know yep. there's something about it that this spending time in god's presence and being able to look at him that's making an impact on the church yep. yeah actually so as a convert um the eucharist was the selling point for me i mean i, I don't want to put it you know it may be in as crass as terms as like um like selling a product <laughs> you know or something like that but um once I understood the, the truth of the Eucharist, I was like, oh, my goodness. I was like, are you kidding? This So I've been missing that? Right, right. So, like, without stealing your show or anything, and yeah. I'm going to let you take it after this. But yeah. basically it was like, so I, I've been missing my wedding day? Basically, like, oh, good Lord. Yeah. I realized how big of a deal it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, Eucharistic adoration in its beginnings, where yeah. did it kind of come from? Yeah, great. So like we were saying a second ago, um, um, adoration is, is, is Jesus kind of exposed for us to see and worship and adore. It goes all the way back really to the beginning. Um, the idea of having him in this, this monster, this monster we were talking about, that kind of developed over time. But really, it, it, it's kind of cool when you look back in the early church, Right from Christ himself, um, there, there's been an understanding, a very clear understanding um, that the the bread and wine that we have at, at Mass, that's, that the Holy Spirit comes down upon, that, that truly becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. So so it's not like at some point in the church they decided to believe in that or the apostles themselves truly believed that and they taught that to their followers. And, and, and then as time went on, as the church spread, um, you know, you've heard the stories before of, of these hermits who, who kind of went off on their own out, out into the wilderness and they'd live in caves and kind of try to get away from the world to pray. They would actually um, keep consecrated uh, consecrated hosts uh, in their in their cells so that they could adore that and, and, and pray with the presence of the Eucharist there. And then as Christianity was legalized and churches were being built, um, originally, you know, after Mass, they, they, would, they would consecrate enough hosts to then store in what we call a, a tabernacle. Really, the original idea was, was so then that uh, people could come in and access the host to take them out to the sick. But people did understand pretty pretty quickly that, okay, this is also um, gonna have to be a, a special place because we believe that is truly Christ physically present. And so in, in the very earliest uh, churches, there was, there was a place um, where Christ was, was, was um, restored, where he was stored and, and for people to go and pray and, and adore. Not necessarily exposed, as we'll get into, but but um, it's kind of cool looking looking at like the tabernacle that we called into. If, if you look back at uh, if you look back at the the Old Testament mm -hmm. and the uh, you know the the Ark of the Covenant, like what what was inside of the Ark of the Covenant, um, you'll see that there was manna in there that, that came down from heaven, the bread from heaven. There was the uh, Ten Commandment tablets um, for representing God's word, and then you also had the staff of Aaron uh, representing the the priesthood. Fast forward down the road, we, we call Mary oftentimes the, the Ark of the New Covenant yep. because who, who did she have dwelling inside her? Um, Christ, who, who is the the priest. He's the priest. Um, he's the the Word of God made flesh, and he, he's the bread of life. And so similar to that, um, uh, we, we also see a lot of our tabernacles now. The gold box that you see in the Catholic Church, you know, um, there's a red lamp next to it usually telling you that, that Christ is in there. A lot of times they do kind of resemble the, the Ark of the Covenant, the Old Testament Ark, for that reason that it's holding um, Christ in there. Who are the, he's those those three things. Um, but that's not always the case. Once in a while, you'll see you'll see a uh, uh, there, where I went to seminary in St. Monrad in Indiana. They had a, a Byzantine Rite chapel there, so mm -hmm. an Eastern Catholic Church chapel. 
their tabernacle was in the shape of a dove that was like suspended up above the altar. And so you'll see different, uh, different versions of tabernacles around the world. The idea is, is it's, it's a way to, um, to, to store Christ after, after the Mass so, so people can access it and bring it to the sick, but also to come uh, adore and pray. So, so that's, kind of, that's kind of where it started. Gotcha. Um, Father, then, um, how do we get to that point of the early church having the Eucharist, um, understanding, okay, we want something special, but now getting it to the exposition, the part of having it exposed, having it like actually yeah. look at, okay, we have this piece of bread. Yep. We believe that it's not just a piece of bread now. Right. This is actually Jesus. Yeah. Why are we sitting looking at it? Right. right. Yeah, yeah. Why? Why? Why do we have it exposed? Why not sure. just keep it in its box? You know, pray to it in its box or whatever. You know, like what's yeah. the deal? Yeah. So I kind of um, over time, how do we get there? So, so you know, through through the history of the church, a lot of times there's um, you'll see particular devotions pop up uh, here and there, and 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 all of a sudden people get excited about one thing or the other. A lot of times that's because uh, something's been brought into question and the church responds to it and, and kind of clarifies something. And so then there's this whole revival around it. And that's what happened with the Eucharist, really. So, so uh, you'd see the Romans and, and other pagans, of course, they thought it was weird that we were, when, when they heard uh, these guys are eating the flesh and blood of someone who died on the cross. That, that was always strange to them. But for, for Christians themselves, once they're in, kind of like you said when you're a convert, like once you're in, uh, up, in up until really the 10 hundreds, it was, it was just kind of understood that if you're a Christian, you believe that that would take place at Mass, you're receiving the body and blood of Christ. It was really not really brought into question. There was a guy named, in, in the 10 hundreds, a guy named Baron Jarius, uh, who was from France. He was an archdeacon. And uh, he was one of the first ones to like publicly deny that that's the, the, the true presence. And um, he had some followers who, who, who uh, kind of started to follow him and believe the same thing. And so um, you know, the church had to get involved and say, no, we, we got to clarify this. And, and, and they... Uh, they had him basically. Pope Gregory the Seventh made him uh, sign this profession of faith after they they talked it out, and and he had to say this. I'll, I'll quote it here. He said, uh, "I believe in my heart and openly profess that the bread and wine placed upon the altar are by the mystery of the sacred prayer and the words of the Redeemer substantially changed into the true and life-giving flesh and blood of Jesus Christ our Lord, and that after the consecration." there is present the true body of Christ, which was born of the Virgin and offered up for the salvation of the world, hung on the cross, and now sits at the right hand of the Father, and that there is present the true blood of Christ, which flowed from his side. They are present not only by means of a sign and of the efficacy of the sacrament, but also in the very reality and truth of their nature and substance." So kind of just summarizing everything we believe about what takes place in the, in the uh, transubstantiation. And, uh, and then really from that point forward, okay, so now, like I said, there's this renaissance, there's this, this, this movement and excitement um, about the Eucharist. And we see in, in the 1200s, um, there's, there's the institution of uh, uh, the Feast of uh, Corpus Christi by, by Pope Urban IV. Um, Eucharistic processions kind of become popular and taking Christ out into the world. And so, so this devotion to the Eucharist is growing more and more than simply just receiving, but, but adoring him. And it, it's in the 1200s as well um, that, that St. Thomas, Thomas Aquinas was uh, commissioned to, for the Feast of, of Corpus Christi to, to write some hymns um, for the divine office about Corpus Christi. And, and so songs that we know well um, were written by Thomas Aquinas. So the O Solitaris, oh, yeah. um, which, which is known as in English, O Saving Victim. Um, he wrote that, and that's that's the song we sing a lot of times at the beginning of adoration. 
Um, and then he also wrote the, the Tantum Ergo. In English, it, it's the down and adoration falling song. That's what we sing at the beginning of, of Benediction, which we can talk about here in a little bit. But um, he also wrote the Pontius Angelicus, this great Eucharistic song. And so now there's these great hymns being written by great uh, theologians about the faith. And as time goes on, more and more devotion. And then really, uh, th there were instances of, of uh, the Eucharist being exposed and, and, and uh, people praying in front of, uh, in front of a monstrance um, at this point already. But really, it was, the, it was the Reformation, you know, when we get into the 1500s. Um, it was the Reformation when, when um, Martin Luther and others uh, rejected the, the, uh, the faith and, and uh, that there was the Council of Trent's response to the whole Reformation, that there was just a doubling down on, on the Eucharistic presence. And, and from that point forward, really, uh, to this day, there's been a growing um, belief and, and, and desire to adore Christ. And it was, it was around, around that time, Pope Clement the, the Eighth. Um, instituted this thing called 40 Hours, where they would uh, expose the Eucharist in a monstrance, a monstral, right, to, to show Jesus. And for 40 straight hours, they'd have people come in and, and, and pray for, for a certain amount of time and make sure someone is always in his presence. And that eventually developed into perpetual adoration, where, where, uh, where you have Christ like we have here, we're lucky to have here in Hayes, where 24 hours a day, Christ is, is on display, so to speak, where people can pop in and pray with him. So Okay. Yeah. I, I once heard it put like this, and it was <clears throat> it was really good for me to understand. Um, it's great to talk to somebody on the phone, but it's so much better when you're sitting talking to them face to face. And I was like, yeah, that makes a good point. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of that was kind of. Yeah, that's like, absolutely true. Yeah, it's it's and it's not a knock at all on the, the Eucharistic presence in the tabernacle, right? You, yeah. You can go and like I said, any Catholic church in the world, you see that red lamp on. Yeah. He's there. He's, he's there. there, and that means something. I've shared the story before. Um, when I when I did a CPE program, uh, it was a clinical pastoral education program, one summer when I was when I was in in seminary, um, it was in a, a, a Kansas uh, Wesley Medical Center in Wichita, and I had this this uh, buzzer I had to wear that would like would go off when someone was dying, and I'd be the only when I worked overnight, I'd be the only chaplain there, so I'd have to go into some sad situation and try to pray with him and be there for him, and um, there was a chapel there in this in this hospital, and it's a beautiful chapel. But there was uh, one one particular time I remember where I, I walked into a room right as this 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 lady had died, an elderly lady, and the only other person in the room was her husband, and he was clearly uh, very sad. And I asked if he wanted to pray, and he he accepted it. But I got the sense he didn't really want me in the room. He just wanted to be with his wife, mm -hmm. and so we prayed. And, and then I left. I don't know. I saw a lot of people die that summer. It was tough, but but that particular one hit me hard. I, I just wanted to go down and pray, and and uh, so I went down to that chapel. I was so thankful it was there. But as great as it was, I, I uh, it's the first time in my life as a Catholic I ever I noticed the absence of the Eucharistic presence. Like here I was, really having this desire to pray and pray for this man and for his wife, and and beautiful chapel. Praise God, it was there. But but there was something missing, and and. Um, yeah. And I, and I couldn't wait for my shift to be over to get home and actually go pray in, in the physical presence of Christ. So that's available to us in every Catholic church. Right? So that's that's still good. But it really does, like you said, it almost takes it to a whole different level. When we can then, because we're physical beings and, 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 our, and our senses help us to, to do everything, especially to pray, to be able to actually look at the Lord right there um, in, in the Eucharist. And then the other part of it that can be powerful is to imagine, um, since we're looking at Him, He's looking right back at us too, and that that idea of my goodness, the God of the universe, He's right there physically, looking right back at right back at me, and that can be let your mind go there and let your soul go there. That can be a powerful, powerful experience. So, 
not a knock on the tabernacle, but but yeah. it's, it w- because of the way we're made with our senses and everything, it's that much more special to be able to look at Christ. Yeah, yeah. awesome stuff. Sometimes uh, people come to um, adoration. There is a difference between adoration and benediction. People maybe may have heard the terms before or been there when benediction has happened. But what is the difference between the two, Father? Yeah, great. So so benediction would be kind of just. So like we said earlier, we have perpetual adoration where literally perpetually all the time Christ is, is, is present. And, uh, but we also have uh, every so often where you, uh, a situation where you'll expose the Eucharist for something maybe in the church for, for a holy hour or for, for a, a, a given period of time. And there's kind of a liturgy around that where you, with incense and everything, process in and expose Jesus and, and sing the O Solitaris that Aquinas wrote. But then at the very end, you have, at the end of that hour, you have what we call benediction, um, a blessing. And that begins um, with the Tantum prayer, again, that St. Thomas Aquinas wrote. And then there, there's a, uh, a little bit of chanting that goes on from the priest. Uh, when he, see, he says um, um, the bread, he, he describes how this is the bread that came down from heaven. And then he sings a prayer. This is shaky for me. I'm not a great singer, but there's a part where you're, you're pretty much all but required to, uh, to sing that part. And I ought to practice that like crazy in seminary. You sing this Eucharistic prayer. And then you stand up as a priest. You stand up or a deacon at that point, And they put, um, your server puts what's on your shoulders, this thing called a humeral veil. And you wear that so that when you go up, and this is when the actual benediction takes place, is you go up. And you bless the people with with Jesus Himself, and and um, and that veil is put on your back, and then around your hands, because the the image there is that it's it's not just Father blessing you, but it's actually Christ Himself giving you the blessing, and it would be as if Jesus Jesus's arm Himself is like reaching out and and, and blessing the people, and so the the priest with that veil that he has on his shoulders, he actually wraps his hands inside that veil so that his hands don't touch the monstrance. So there's no confusion there. This is a blessing from Jesus himself. And, and uh, so benediction really in the end is an opportunity to get a, a blessing from, from Jesus himself and uh, the Eucharistic presence there. And, and uh, I, uh, another seminary deal, I one time actually completely messed that up. The first time I ever got to lead benediction, I had the veil on and everything, but grabbed it with my hands and, 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 uh, and then blessed everybody. Got a stern talking to from our from our <laughs> liturgy director afterwards. Like that's ridiculous. You can't be doing that. Have you ever been adoration before? Like yes. I got nervous, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, sorry, I completely yeah, messed yeah. that up. People are shaking their heads at me. I'm like, come on, man. So, newbie. Yeah, I've made that mistake since then. But but uh, yeah, that was brutal. So yeah, and he made it clear to me that day, right? This this that's how special this is. It's a blessing from Christ, not you. So get your hands out of the way and and get that bail on there and and. Uh, it's powerful, and then it usually ends. You come back down after that, and um, and do the divine praises, all, all these praises that we have um, to to Christ, and then the Eucharist is put away back in the, in the tabernacle, and and usually we sing Holy God, we praise that name, that song right there, and 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 the the holy hour is concluded. So that's kind of the benediction. A lot of times takes place within at the very end of of an adoration hour, and it's a, it's a blessing that Christ gives. Yeah. I, I love benediction. This is one of my favorite things um, is, is because all of the beauty that surrounds, uh, that surrounds adoration at that point. I remember when I was a, a deacon in, in uh, Manhattan that summer. It was a funny thing for a kid to say, but there's a, like a junior in high school um, 
a lot of times when you're doing benediction, you put on this gold cope, you know, and it's shiny, uh-huh. all, all, all to bring uh, reverence to what's going on there. But this uh, this kid, after after we got done with adoration, uh, came up to me, he's like, Father, you look like a bad apple in that thing. <laughs> I was like, thanks. I, I, don't know, I don't know what that means, man. <laughs> I guess that's a compliment. Okay. Basically. <laughs> bad apple, man. Yeah. yeah. But as a, you know, as a guy, maybe you're this way too. Um, this is kind of a tangent but um uh I, i'm also like a superhero guy uh-huh. and so like you priests <laughs> so people are probably like shaking their head like dude what are you doing but anyway um so you're my superheroes at this moment because that's what i envision you as like especially as you turn around so the other day we had the divine mercy service over at ihm you know yeah. so you're turned around and you get the humoral veil and you just got these awesome vestments and i'm like oh dude you look like the most super cool superhero right now like i don't know but in in my mind you were cooking you, you were you were kicking some really bad um, apple. yeah some bad apple <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll put that yeah. but you were k- kicking some super evil butt yeah. uh, i'm at that moment so anyway that i i'm just always amazed because yeah the the, the beauty that we surround the eucharist is always for that purpose to make sure that we show the reverence and the respect mm-hmm. that should be shown. How to if Catholics are wrong? Yeah. How right. do they get beauty so right? Yeah. Even, yeah. Even even with like the monstrance itself, like you said, the, the monstrance always even the simplest of monstrances is it's it's it's, it's going to be beautiful. It's gold or silver. Most times, most most monstrances that you see, right in the very center of them is, is where you have the the Eucharistic host, and then from that uh, come all these all these different rays coming from it. And, yeah. and and the imagery there is is it looks like a, a sunburst kind of you know like here here's here's the sun and these rays coming from it, this this tremendous source of light and Christ is the light of the world so so um, just the imagery and the artwork that's in every detail when it comes yeah. to something as special as as uh, adoration and a monstrance and and, and beautiful churches um, why why wouldn't we with something so powerful that truly is God yeah why wouldn't we put on these um, you know the, the nicest looking vestments we possibly could the, the you know, have these these beautiful chalices and, and monstrances all, all for God to give Him glory and to elevate our souls. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's That's amazing. awesome. Yeah. We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. We'll be right back with more about Eucharistic Adoration with Father Andy Hamaki. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture on Divine Mercy Radio. Father Andy Hamakey. Eucharistic Adoration. Cody Marincer conducts the interview. All right, I've been having a great talk with Father Andy Hamaki about adoration and benediction. And so we are going to now dive back in. Sometimes as you are in adoration, sometimes it is difficult maybe to get get the chattering monkeys out of your head and things like that. So, Father, what do you find is the best way to use our time in adoration? Yeah, good. As much as I, you can say in adoration, like at NCYC, where it's beautiful, you're in this huge stadium and there's amazing music playing, and kids are on their knees on a, on, on a concrete uh, floor, and they say they love it. At the same time, it is very much the case, and, and uh, we can see this at TMP. I saw it at Sacred Heart too. You'll have yeah. kids who 
you know, every Friday, praise God, we have schools that, that uh, provide an opportunity for them to be able to go to adoration um, for an entire hour um, once a week on, on Fridays. There's some kids who don't get the most fulfillment out of that. That's just that's the case. I don't know if I would have when I was in high school either. And, and yeah. uh, so it can be it can be boring. It can be hard to fight uh, distractions. Of course, when you're in high school, you got your peers to worry about too, and there's all kinds of things that make that difficult. But so how do we quiet our minds? What are we even supposed to do when we're in there? And and I think you can kind of you can kind of say there's really two broad goals of, of why we're even there to begin with. One would be to adore God. It's called adoration to adore him. Um, the other would be to try to communicate with him in some way, either either us talk to him and, and him speak back to us or, or both. And, and um, so to adore and to communicate, both of those things are really hard if we can't quiet our mind. And so I, I just remember, you know, one thing we were instructed, I remember in seminary was it's, it's, it's okay to use, uh, sometimes if we just try to quiet our minds on our own, it's just not gonna happen. It's okay to use other tools to get there, you know, so. So, um, again, it, you don't have to feel guilty about sitting in front of God and, and reading some scripture to kind of try to get your mind in, in, in the right place. Or even using a rosary, a rosary is a beautiful prayer, and we can talk about how that can help us communicate with God too. But it can also be used as a tool, since it's a prayer we know well. I know these Hail Marys, I know these are our fathers, and I can just say it over and over again to kind of pull us out of the world we just entered in from and get our minds into kind of a prayerful mode. So using a rosary really for that purpose, just to kind of quiet our minds, can be a good way to start adoration. Um, and it's something, with adoration, I think in a lot of ways you can say practice makes perfect. You, you, you find your own niche, you find your own way of quieting your mind. I, I, I find um, using some kind of a tool really helps. I, I've read some of the saints recommend with any time we start prayer, um, starting just by sitting and repeating yourself over and over and over again, God, I'm in your presence. God, I'm in your presence. And in adoration, we physically are. He's right there, and you can look at him and say, God, I'm in your presence. God, I'm in your presence. Repeat that as your soul kind of starts to quiet. And then say, Lord, help me to pray. Lord, help me to pray. Lord, help me to pray. And then begin. You know, And, and, and that, can, that can be a method of, of quieting our minds. So there's so many different things that you, you could say about how to spend that time. One I've heard before, maybe once you get your mind quieted, however you end up getting there, through scripture, rosary, meditating on the fact you're in God's presence, whatever it is. Now your mind's quiet. One, one method I've heard before is called the ARRR method. So this would be, um, it's to acknowledge, um, relate, receive, and respond. So we sit there and we acknowledge in front of God, our mind is now quiet um, to the best we can. And we acknowledge kind of what's on our heart. Um, what, are, what are some of our thoughts that are coming to our mind? And then we give those to the Lord. We give them to Jesus and say, Lord, here's my thoughts. Here's, here's what's coming to my mind while I'm sitting here in front of you. Here's what's been going on in my life. Um, here's what's been going on in somebody I love's life. And, 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 and you give that all to the Lord. And so that's, that's you, you relate it to him. And then you listen to what he says back. And, 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 um, and you receive. And, and we've, we've all had different ex, you know, experiences before of, of sometimes that reception is very, very subtle. It can be just a little bit of peace in our heart. It can, it can be absolute silence, but we know he's there. Or it can be every so often something extremely clear where, where he's, he's speaking to us. And then once, once we give an opportunity to receive, um, to, to speak to us, we then respond back to that. Okay, Lord, thank you for that. Um, Lord, you didn't say much. Can you, can you say a little more? Um, or, uh, uh, okay, th thanks for that, Lord. Here's kind of the action I'm going to take now based on that. So that's the, 
that's the R method in the A-A-R-R-R. There's, there's, there's a lot more we could say. Father Andy, you were talking, best way to use our time in adoration. And one thing that happens with me, as you guys could probably guess, because my mind goes everywhere, is I get frustrated. How do you battle frustration in adoration? Hmm. Because the point is, like, I'm going to go visit with Jesus, yeah. right? I mean, so I'm going to go visit with Jesus, and then a guy like me, as many people can probably guess, I have a problem with shutting up. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. So, so, so how do you battle something like that? How does a guy like me deal with, one, being quiet, yeah. and then, two, maybe with, you know, like, the frustrations that come with being quiet? Yeah, yeah I think... So one thing I heard actually pretty recently um, was to almost see it as an opportunity. You know, when you're so so say like you said you're there and, and you're talking a lot, or or in particular you keep getting distracted. And you can't you can't quiet your mind, and it makes sense. Here's some frustration. Like Lord, I came in here for a reason. That's what's amazing about about perpetual adoration. You can be having the worst day ever, the best day ever. You can any time of day, late at night, anytime, pop in and go say hi to the Lord. Or you got some big decision to make. You can pop in and go say hi, Lord, help me with this, whatever it might be. But so, so, so say you do that, you go out of your way to go talk to him and then and you don't get that peace and you can't get your mind quiet. And, and so some frustration can come. And I, I would say, um, number one, like make sure you're, you're taking the best steps possible to quiet your mind. But if, if, if you can't get it done, to see that as an opportunity in a sense, to say that, um, okay, every single time my mind gets distracted, I'm gonna put it back on God. And then it gets distracted again, I'm gonna put it back on God. And you start training yourself in this habit and sometimes it takes um, training in front of God in His presence um, to, to constantly put our mind back on God so that when we go back out into the world, and now it's not just like trying to think about God, but now we have other things coming into our mind that, that are tempting, that are leading us really far away from God, that, that are going to lead us to uh, maybe damaging someone else's life or sinning ourselves. Um, whenever those things come in our mind, now we've like developed this practice of every time my mind goes somewhere it shouldn't, uh, I'm going to put it back on God. And so in a sense, you could say it's not time wasted. You might be frustrated in prayer and you might, might be kind of disappointed that you, you didn't get the peace that you wanted when you, when you went in there, but it was an opportunity to practice putting your mind where it should be every single time you got distracted. And that, that pays dividends when you go out into the world. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that yeah. you know, someone passed on to me one time was simply just say the name of Jesus. I'm like, wow. That's good. Really? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, just... yeah. Yeah. So, gosh, I, I, yeah, I appreciate yep. that. Yep. I've been in places before where, where I'm more like you, where I'm, I'm in prayer trying to trying to get my mind quiet, and you're surrounded by a bunch of other people, like at maybe a big conference where it's a uh, Eucharistic adoration, and people all around you are going, Jesus, Jesus. And, and at first it's like, what are you guys doing? And then you look at their face, and they are deep in prayer. You know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, I'm not there. Maybe I should try this too. You know? I was <laughs> yeah. like, repeating his name goes a long way. That's an excellent way yeah. to quiet your mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. it, you know, that's that's actually maybe a good segue then, um, as you say that, you know, looking at other people sometimes, and also talking what we were talking about with frustration and, um, you know, teaching at TMP, I've had students ask me this, and, and, and I get it, so it's a good question, is, you know, some people have these so-called mystical experiences in adoration. Um, what about that? You know, like, and then there's other people you know, that like are just sitting around going, how come them, not me, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 you know, maybe, maybe they are, you know, maybe people are 
you know, there's people out there trying to take their faith seriously. And, um, and and is that something that we should look at? Should we go into adoration and be like, okay, where's the wow moment? And, you know, and, right. and, and so what, what do you have to say on something like that? What about mystical experiences? How much should we look into those? You know, what about people who haven't had those? Right. Great. What, yeah. What do you have to say? It's good. Yeah. It's in a common, it's a common question. And, and um, I think we could say we don't want to make those experiences the goal of our prayer, yeah. you know, and, and, and so when they do happen, if they do happen, we thank God for them, and, and uh, we, we can uh, look right back at them and just tell them how much we love them. We can let them move us to, to being more and more open to His will when those things um, take place, and whether it's a, a vision, whether, you know, just some kind of like a, a lot of times, it, it's just a warm closeness, a warm peace that overcomes you, and it can, it can lead to tears or whatever it might be. Um, um, the saints have a lot of good things to say about this, but, but in the end, um, to let that lead you into deeper love for God and to not stay just with that feeling, but let it put, like help you to trust and love the Lord more and to not be disappointed if next time you pray, it doesn't happen again or to, to make that the goal of your prayer because it's, it's, it's never something that we made happen because we prayed so well. The, those kind of experiences are always a gift from God. He's given them to us oftentimes for a reason that we, we may not know. Um, and, and that's that's some people are going to get them, some might not. God kind of knows why they're they're taking place, and so it gets to the point where you, even John of the Cross uh, talks about like, don't pay attention to it. Like you, you can thank him for it, but but put your eyes right back on Christ and love him, and if anything, let it move you to trusting him more and and being open to his will. And and uh, so, I would say if you're the person who has those experiences, praise God for him, thank him, and and but uh, don't be disappointed when they don't happen. It's not because you're not praying better or worse and for the person who never has uh, had any kind of experience like that um, that's that's not the goal of prayer the, the goal of prayer in the end is, is to help us draw uh, in, in, in deeper love with God um, and, and, and in the end to be more in union with him and be totally open to his will so that through our prayer we can know his voice and as he calls us to do things throughout the day we can always recognize it and say yes to it and so mystical experiences are great uh, thank him for them but that's not the goal of our prayer yeah yeah as you say that, it's it's a reminder of me to to so much of what I hear about the excuse as to why people don't go to mass. I don't get anything out of mass, you know, and all of that. And our whole misunderstanding of what mass is to give glory to God, you know, and the, the holy sacrifice of the mass, if, you know, and maybe we ought to say that to ourselves more, the holy sacrifice of the mass That's rather right. than. I have to go to mass, you know, and, and, and it, that brings me back to why I'm a convert, um, and and the understanding of wow, I get to have my wedding day. I, I get to, you know, like on your wedding day, are you sitting there thinking, what am I getting out of this deal, <laughs> or are you, or are you thinking, I get to give myself completely to this other person? That's right. Which way are you looking at it? Um, and, and, that's, and then that kind of, as you say that, that's that's what it makes me think of is, are we sitting there in that moment going, okay, Jesus, how are you going to wow me today? Or are you sitting there going, what can I give to the Lord? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so exactly. Yeah, that's right. And and, and and that being said, and that's absolutely the goal at the Mass, you know, I, I, uh, Father Mike Schmitz, I, what's that video? He's got. Oh, I love it. It's, it's from Seek 2019, I think. How to pray the mass like never that's before. That's so good because he so good makes the analogy of it's not it's not we're not there like when you go to a movie and you sit down yeah. and like all right entertain me you know, or like yeah. and, and if the music's not good or the the homily's terrible or whatever it's like wow I didn't get anything out of that and um, 
well, it's not a movie. It, it's it's exactly like you said. We're there to to give of ourselves and to ideally to to bring someone who who needs some prayers as well with us in, in our minds to mass, and we offer ourselves. Um, we unite ourselves to the offering of Christ being offered to the Father for someone we love and entrust it. That's the most powerful prayer we can ever pray. And and, uh, and then, most likely, the, the good thing is we're there to give, but when we do authentically give, we usually then get as well. We, we do get something from it. But but I, I do want to say it like with, with adoration, while we absolutely, the, the, the goal of our prayer in the end is to draw, to, to give ourselves to the Lord and, 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 uh, and be one with His will. There is, like like we said at the beginning of it, like there there is this opportunity for communication, and so it's absolutely okay oh, yeah. and, and good to go and ask questions. And, yeah, and, and yeah. if you're going to go, if you um, if you do have uh, a big decision to make or some questions, especially um, discernment. Oh, you know, definitely, yeah. that is the place to go and, and yeah. put yourself in His presence. And, and um, you know, for for um, I've got to talk about this with you, you some before, like in your class. And, and uh, Ignatius is 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 so good about. Um, helping us, St. Ignatius, uh, the one who started the Jesuits, uh, um, so good about helping us understand how to discern. He talks about like basically three different ways that he, he can kind of like God can God can reveal His will to us. One is the the one that St. Paul had or St. Matthew had when he just absolutely no no doubt about it. Like Matthew, follow me. Okay, that guy's God. I'm gonna follow him. Like, and then it's just so clear, and we can't ever doubt it. This would be like the the kid who, from the, from the moment he was a a kid, he's like, I want to be a priest, and that just never leaves him. Like, you will be, or, like, there's there's those experiences, and, and they're kind of rare, but once in a while, God's that absolutely clear with us. Most times, is kind of this in between option of of uh, where God speaks quiet to us, like like He does oftentimes in, in Scripture in the Old Testament to the prophets, or um, He'll He'll just move our heart slowly towards one thing or the other and so if you are trying to decide if you have a little bit bigger decision to make in your life take this job or not priest or married man religious sister uh, married woman whatever it might be between two good things bring that with you to adoration consistently and then sit there in front of God and imagine those two things and, and just see what he does with your heart so first quiet your mind and absolutely key in that is also saying Lord I'm open to both these options. I, I'll do either one, and and if you don't, if if you're leaning towards one or the other, ask for help to be open to both. Um, and then consistently, once you get there, sit there with both and see what it does with your heart. And 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 most times, if God's calling you to one or the other, He's going to speak with peace and kind of move your heart to one of those options. Then you show up the next day, then you show up the next day, and the next day, and see does He continually move your heart to one or the other. And over time, um, if He does that enough times. St. Ignatius would say, take action. Like God's, God's moving, take action. And then along with that, be very careful about what's going to take place in the world when you leave there. Because you, ex- yeah. you can expect what's taking place in adoration, if God is, is, is clearly moving your heart one direction, away from adoration, away from God's physical presence, you're going to have all kinds of doubts entering your mind. Yeah. So trust what takes place there. Be cautious of what comes into your mind elsewhere. Yeah. Oh, this has been wonderful, Father. Uh, uh, If only we had more time. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, Could you leave us? We have just a a few minutes. Um, Do do you have anything else that you want to close with? And then we've got a a closing prayer, the Anima Christi, that we would like for you to close us with. But um, we do have uh, about two minutes. If you got anything else that you'd like to leave us with about adoration or anything else that you want to leave us with. I just want to say uh, I, I like to, as often as I can, um, talk about how much this radio station played a big impact on my vocation. 
I've, I've shared a story too many times now, but, but when I was in, in college working for the grounds crew, I would, uh, the entire day, 10-hour shifts, going around weed eating, I would listen to Catholic radio the whole time, and, and that really taught me a lot and, and uh, kind of played a big role in me falling more in love with the Lord and wanting to be a priest. And so I'm so thankful for this radio station, and I just hope people continue to, to support it. All right. And if you would close us in prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. O good Jesus, hear me. Within your wounds, hide me. Permit me not to be separated from you. From the wicked foe, defend me. At the hour of my death, call me and bid me come to you, that with your saints I may praise you forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the Father, Father, Son, Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning into Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. If you're a business or service that can support this Double-Edged Sword show, please note that your underwriting will run three times during this show, which runs five times a week. Interested? Call 785-621-4110. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 101.7 KJDM Lindsborg Salina, 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.